This is Channel 253. In this episode of Nerd Farmer. We want to play, but we don't trust mm-hmm. you to prioritize our health, right? Because they are learning. Our health has never been prioritized. The money has been prioritized. And we don't get any of that either. So we want money. We want our health prioritized. And because of George Floyd and how that just changed the country, uh, we want like racial justice prioritized too. Three things that have never really been prioritized on the part of the players. It's always been just like, oh, you go to Ohio State, so you're just happy to be here. It's like, no, I'm not going to die for you. I'm not going to die for you and be broke and endure racism. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. This is the Nerd Farmer Podcast, a national conversation through a local lens. A quick note before we begin today's episode. Uh, On episode 101, Uh, with Mo from Crosscut, I talked about how my father had contracted the coronavirus. That episode came out on July 27th, and my dad actually passed away that day. Uh, My wife and I were scheduled to be in the United States through August 3rd, but because uh, my host country here, the UAE, was uh, tightening immigration restrictions from the United States, we had to move our flight forward by a few days, and we departed on July, what, 30th? And so... Essentially, I had to flee my country of birth to go to my country, to, to my country of occupation uh, two days after my father passed away. My mother's decided to not have a service uh, until the virus is under control. Uh, and she wants to ha- dad to have full military honors because dad is a military veteran, a combat veteran in Vietnam. And it's a very surreal time in my life, if I'm being honest. Um, Here in UAE, I'm in my seventh day of my mandated 14-day quarantine. Um, I was administered a test when I landed at the Dubai airport and tested negative, had the results back like within 12 hours. Uh, But nevertheless, I'm still required to quarantine, so I'm kind of locked up in my apartment. And I'm doing a lot of reflecting on my time back in the States. Like, this was a really hard month home. Uh, I essentially arrived... At the when we got back, Seattle Police Department was tearing down shop. Then halfway through my visit, federal agents were assaulting citizens in Portland. And then by the end of my visit, my dad was dead, and the president of the United States was declaring his intent to send more state, sorry, more federal troops into American cities. That's a lot, and like. It seems to me, like for better or worse, that we're determined to do things in the United States the hard way and the worst possible way. Uh, on August the 5th, which is a couple of days ago, we're recording this on August the 7th, there were over 2,000 Americans uh, died from the coronavirus. The rate of infection for the virus right now is worse than it was in uh, the spring that precipitated the lockdown. But instead of thinking about like, So things are worse now than they were when we went into lockdown, but now everybody's thinking about how we can open things up, and that just seems really weird to me. The conversation we're going to have today is a conversation about sports, and sports is really important to me. We cover a lot of sports topics on the show, Uh, but 
and you'll hear this in the conversation, we don't deserve sports right now in, in America. Like sports are a reward that functioning societies get. And like, we're not a functioning society right now. And it's bigger than an election. And maybe I'm just like late to this. Uh, maybe you're listening to this and you're smarter than me and you figured this out a long time ago. But like the dysfunction and issues in the United States run deeper than Donald Trump and run deeper than this election. And that's the work ahead. I don't know. Like the, the grounding premise of this show, going back to like one of our first episodes with Derek Young from the uh, Pierce County Council, is that folks need to be active in local politics in order to make a difference. And that's the best way to fight against tyranny, to fight against Trumpism, to fight to improve our communities. And like that work is more important than ever. And so I'm going to continue making the show and having these conversations. Um, hopefully we'll have some levity in the conversation today. And I'm going to continue holding uh, elected officials and appointed officials feet to the fire from afar to the best of my ability. So with that kind of preamble, uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Nerd Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Bowling, an American teacher abroad. This show is a conversation about my wandering passions and curiosities. And typically we're talking about politics or events that are happening, but oftentimes we dabble in a sport as well. Uh, on the show, we've had on Seattle Sounders legend Steve Zakawani to talk about protests and also uh, the Sounders performance and seasons up and down. We've talked to the fellas from uh, the Rainiers about the things they're working on at Cheney Stadium. We've had conversations about the Women's World Cup and about Rain FC. And today I want to talk about the intersection of the coronavirus and the COVID outbreak and sports. And so in studio today, I have two people who, if you don't follow on social media, you need to. Uh, they're really dope writers. We have now three-time guest, three-time! Uh, Andrew, you should get like a, a, I should get like a jacket. I was gonna, like I, you know, um, I was gonna say, I feel like I need a jacket, a blazer, a smoking jacket. I, could, I feel like I'm in an exclusive club. Um, All right. So your people I, talk I'll to my people. That. Maybe some wristbands. I don't want wristbands. I want a jacket. <laughs> All right. So we have Andrew Hammond from the TNT. And then we have Mike Dugar, who is a writer from The Athletic covering the Seahawks, correct? That is correct. And shout out to the company. Subscribe to The Athletic. Yes, that is shameless plug. I'm cool with that. No, absolutely. I, I pay for The Athletic. Like, let's listen, I, you're going to hear this later on in the show. Uh, if you want journalism that's worth having, then you need to pay for journalism. I subscribe to The Athletic. They have some of the best soccer coverage in the United States. And the local coverage uh, of Seattle teams is really dope. Mike kills it. Christian Capel kills it. Like, subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, mentioning The Athletic, let's start with the conversation. Let's start there. How are you doing right now, nowadays? And, like, how has the COVID outbreak kind of changed your day-to-day -day as a sports writer? My day-to-day -day is not necessarily changed. It doesn't matter what I do because we, we don't have, like, an office here in Seattle. Like, me and Christian Capel, our Huskies guy you mentioned, like, we don't meet up in downtown and write together, right? We just don't do not do that. Uh, so we all work from home anyway, so that's normal. But, like, what's going on outside still has a huge impact. Like, the like being a black journalist is just – well, being black anything right now. Being a black journalist, we all took, like, that's a hit. And, like, I'd say we're still taking the hit. But, uh, but between, like – Black people getting disproportionately affected by the virus, um, protests about racism, um, and then the journalism field just took a hit because there's no sports. And like, uh, so those three things, it was all like a, a few months where it's like, good God, like, how are we supposed to handle all this? Um, fortunately, uh, I, was, I was safe job-wise. Um, I don't have the virus. Um, no one in my family has it. Um, 
And I actually used a lot of the downtime when there wasn't sports to do a lot of reading about this exact topic, actually. Like, I'm not a big college football guy um, in terms of, like, the history. Like, I couldn't tell you who was the best team in, like, the 1980s or something. But I have been studying the intersection of race in sports, especially in college sports, because it's embedded in every sports league we have in America. But in college football, it's like, it gets gross sometimes. And it's like, the secret gets out real fast and people tell on themselves. So, like, I'm excited that's the topic because – like, I literally just, my birthday was July 17th. My mom gave me a book about, like, the intersection of race and college sports for my birthday. Like, that's how much I've been uh, kind of exploring. I'm not, like, an expert, but it's been, like, that's my favorite part about it. I could care less who wins, like, the Heisman. Or, like, what's happening at, like, uh, the Pac-12 football group is way bigger, like, to me. My favorite part of that answer is, is that when you said, I don't know who the best football team in the 80s was, Andrew, like, sat up. He was like, Nebraska or Miami, Nebraska or Miami. <laughs> It's, it's a it's it's a reflex. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, <laughs> Mike. I'm sorry, Nate. I'm sorry, Doug. I got love for you. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's weird because it, I, I'm in the same situation Mike's in. Like, I I've been working from home and haven't been. I've been in the office maybe a total of five times since March third uh, because I thought it was. I thought it was like the flu. I was like, okay, flu's going around. I'm just going to stay home. It's going to brush off after a week or two. Nope. <laughs> so I've been working from home. So really the day-to-day for me hasn't changed. Um, I don't have a designated beat, which is probably another conversation for another day uh, <laughs> over at the TNT. But um, basically I'm just kind of looking around for things to cover. Um that's been difficult, but at the same time, kind of like, you know, with, with with what Mike is doing, I'm just educating myself on everything. Because I think with sports, we get so locked into things that this time it's it's given us a chance to just explore other, you know, other avenues, look at other things, read other things. So that's what I've been doing a lot and uh, watching a lot of uh, watching a lot of Netflix. So I want to start with something that I've been thinking about a lot. And so for me, I'm just going to lay it out. For me, the answer is no, but I'm curious what you think. Like, should we be sporting at all right now? Oh, man, that's such a tough question. I'm conflicted because my job relies on it, right? Like, I, right. I need I need these games, right? Like, I built, <laughs> you know, the lease, is, lease just got renewed, you know, for a whole year. So I, need to, I do need some sports. I do think that... Like, as society, we do have, like, an obligation to the people over, like, the elites, I think, to keep them safe. But, like, when have we ever followed that obligation? Like, in the history of the country, we've always protected the elites first. And in this case, uh, that is athletes because the leagues are the elites and they got the money. So I, I do feel a little gross, like, watching the NBA. I don't really watch a bunch of other sports, but even seeing baseball and soccer and stuff come back, yeah, that does feel gross, right? Because I can see the numbers every day of people who – aren't millionaires who are waiting for tests still or just like I said black people disproportionately infected uh with the virus uh black people disproportionately impacted uh financially by the layoffs I don't know how many people are on unemployment now like it does feel gross in that regard uh at the same time if we're not sacrificing the health of the people who are employed um mm. like in the NBA like if they can do it safely I think soccer's bubble is working too I think hockey's is working as well like if we can do it safely then there's like it's not the end of the world for 
for me where it's like college football is the grossest thing because like you're throwing these kids out there to the wolves to die in the name of some money that they don't even see that's where it's like the worst of the worst like it's gonna be bad uh morally i think when we try to play sports while people are dying but uh, i guess if i want to feel somewhat good about it i look at the bubbles and see okay this can work and it's safe and the guys are getting paid um like that that part is all right but it's hard to look at the country at home like oh man should we really have a hockey game right now? Like, look at the unemployment rates. Maybe we should refocus. But we've never been like that as a country, so I can't just randomly expect for us to be like that now. It's funny for me because I wanted to get to the bubbles later on, but, like, you mentioned the bubbles. And, like, the bubbles are an example of public health policy that works. Essentially, in the bubbles, you have frequent testing and you have mm-hmm. social isolation. And within the bubbles, the virus isn't spreading. So like the NWSL, the Women's Soccer League and MLS and now the NHL basically are able to go on and have no infections happening throughout any of their competition because they're working from bubbles. Uh, other sports, baseball and like the USL, which is minor league soccer, like they're canceling games and matches left and right because they're not in bubbles. They're trying to do like this normal thing where like players live at home and live in their communities and then show up and get tested and then fly to Sacramento or fly to Omaha. And like the virus is spreading throughout that. Like we will get there later on in the show. We saw what happened with the Marlins. Like Jesus Christ, it's a mess. Uh, Andrew, what's your gut say? Should we, should we be sporting at all? Um, I say no. And like my, it, it feels gross. And I, I think I, I look at it as from just a society point. I feel like sports is a reward for our society in a way, but then there's sometimes where we needed we needed that break because I think we get we get caught up in everything from does LeBron like his teammates on a random Wednesday in March or <laughs> you know just the random stupid first take type of content that it's supposed to drive sports but like it it doesn't do anybody any good so it's like maybe we need a break from sports and it felt like we were doing really good and then it got to what may and it was like hey everything's good we're gonna slowly bring sports back and it was like okay let's see how this works and then you saw all the issues with testing and and there's still discrepancies in testing high major league baseball um, and so it, it just feel it, I'm entertained, but at the same time, I'm also like watching with one eye and I'm kind of like, uh, should we be doing this? Like, it feels uncomfortable, but mm. you know, like Mike, I make my living covering sports. So in a way I have to enjoy it and I have to convince myself that, okay, this is okay. And yes, yeah, sports from a bubble as we're going to get to later. Love it. It's it's interesting to think about how sports, you mentioned that sports is a reward for functioning society. And to me, I think one of the things that happened is, is that the reintroduction of sports signaled to people that things were like getting better and or better. Right. And so even though these games were being played in empty arenas with like piped in crowd noise, just the fact that there was sports again on ESPN signaled to people that like, hey, we're out of the woods now. Right. And uh, I talked about it in the intro. One of the stats that I just can't stop saying out loud is, is that the number of infections that are happening right now with the virus in August is higher than it was in March that precipitated the lockdown. So things right now are worse than they were when we went into the lockdown. 
but we're all trying to figure out how to make life more normal now instead of taking the same precautions we took five months ago. And like that for me is really, really brutal to watch because like, well, this is actually the next thing I want to talk about is like looking at sports abroad. I'm not sure about you all. Like Mike, I'll ask you, like, have you been looking at any of the sports that are happening abroad and how they've been handling things and handling uh, sports in the outbreak? Only in this sense, one of my really good friends lives uh, in Taiwan, actually. He's from Seattle, but lives in Taiwan. Um, and so when the outbreak first hit, like I'm texting him back and forth because they got hit pretty hard right away because their proximity to China. Um, and then they were like done with it, like really quick. And I think we've already written some pieces over here in America about like, oh, wow, why didn't America do what Taiwan did? Because they've handled it. My man don't even wear a mask when you go out no more. You don't have to. Um, but he also covered baseball for a little bit, which is why I bring him up like seeing kind of how they handled it and were, like they were the first people to have a game, I think after the virus, maybe them or Australia, um, how they handled like the fans. They, they were the first ones, I think, doing the cutouts. They had like a whole setup to get fans in there and seat them and social distance them, make them sign waivers and temperature checks and all of that. So I'm looking from afar. I'm not really like soccer. Though. I got some homies in London who are, but in Taiwan, I was really paying attention. Like you guys handled the virus and got sports back. And like he's a teacher as well, so um, and the kids are back at school. Uh, well, I think it's I think they're on break now, but you know what I mean. Like they could be back in in the building. So like all of those things make me see like oh there is a way to be competent about this, and that makes me more frustrated actually about what's going on here because like they got baseball back, you know, over there just like that, and we're you know like you guys said look at the Marlins, Jesus this is that's gross. Like so that's kind of my only like follow of what's going on overseas. I think. Taiwan's like a really good like case study for how to be competent right now. Andrew, you dabble in soccer. Any thoughts about what you've seen happen with soccer on the um, So it's it's been enjoyable to watch. And I was because I was wondering, okay, are players at home? Um, and uh, was it Liverpool as much as I can't stand them? I'm um, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. You mean the champions of Europe, the champions of the world, and the champions <laughs> of the Premier League? Uh, Liverpool, the Reds. Yes, go ahead, Andrew. Andrew, you like Tottenham, right? Tottenham, that they're not the champions of the world or Europe. Or, okay, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, you were saying. You're lucky I'm in a good mood and I've had my coffee this morning um, or I'd say some very mean words. Um, but no, so when Liverpool won Champions League, they weren't at a, they were at, teams were at hotels and, and teams have been staying at hotels and I was like, okay, how you know how does that work and and so i did some research i found out that basically every team in the premier league is staying in some type of complex or staying you know or if they do leave they automatically get tested when they come back um if they're seeing family or whatever and so i was like oh this works this is fine and then you know with the marlins they're literally Bussing a team full of COVID positive athletes and coaches from Philadelphia back to Miami. And I'm thinking, we have completely screwed this up. Like, there shouldn't be baseball. So but what the hell? So, for folks that like aren't hardcore baseball fans and aren't following, do you want to talk about like how awful things are with the Marlins? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, the Marlins and Phillies played, I want to say, 10 days ago, almost two weeks ago, uh, to start to restart the season. And what ended up happening is there were four or five players from the Marlins that tested positive for COVID-19. Well, that number 
grew by four or five for the next three or four days. And then all of a sudden you have nearly 20 people who were uh, tested positive for COVID, but it all stemmed back from them going out in Atlanta on a random night. And it was a few people, but those few people got in contact with some other people and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's, it's so dumb. It is so dumb when sports aren't in a, aren't in a bubble. Well, so we've gone back to the bubble thing. What I want to do today is I want to kind of talk through sports and tiers. And so like, I think like the top tier, the folks that are doing things well, and tell me if I'm wrong here, uh, are essentially like the soccer leagues. So MLS had a bubble in Orlando that's worked pretty well. Uh, the ladies, NWSL, and by the way, NWSL was really smart with their stuff. They basically got out there first, had a tournament, and said, we're not going to have a season. The tournament was it. And then everybody kind of flocked, and they got a lot of attention there. And they ran a bubble out of uh, out of Salt Lake City. The, end up, the end, no, NWA, no, that's a rap group. Uh, <laughs> the NBA is running a bubble uh, out of, out of uh, Orlando. And the WNBA, wait, are they running a bubble? Yeah. Yeah. Where are they? Where are they? IMG Academy. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. And so these sports are running a bubble and basically have no virus spread. Uh, friend of the show and Channel 253 member John Murphy's brought up a point both of you brought up as well that the downside of this is, is that in this bubble, they're getting frequent testing. So everyday folks, in particular low-income folks in Orlando are waiting a week to get their test back. And then these high-paid athletes are getting, are getting multiple tests in a week while other folks are waiting. And like, that's a capacity thing. Like, it's, it's not like they're, they're making new labs. If athletes are getting tests, they're, get, they're taking tests from like Jane and Joe civilians. All right. The, the next level out though is baseball. So we talked about the Marlins. Are they the only team that's having struggles right now? Ooh, the I think Phillies. Are they? Are they the, the, they're the only ones that have it that bad, right? Right. Yeah. right. I'm pretty sure. And it, well, the the really bad part about the Marlins is not that the guys got it. I mean, guys are going to get it on every team eventually. I would imagine because everyone plays each other. Well, I don't know if everyone plays each other with the new schedule, but you know what I mean. Um, the problem was that there was nothing in their their, their manual for like COVID, and their return was like hundred and. 13 pages or 130? One, it's got a one and a three for yeah, sure. 113. It had no, 113, yeah, and it had nothing in there about an outbreak. It was like, what do we do if there's an outbreak? Nothing. I mean, I haven't read it, but that's just how it's been reported. There's been nothing in there about an outbreak. That's so when those four, those four dudes got it, like Andrew's talking about, they basically got in a players-only group chat and were like, hey, should we play tomorrow? They're like, yeah. Like, no, man, that's just not how that should be decided. So they played, and then a bunch more people got it. Like, that... Of course they did. Right? So that that was really the problem. Like co- being competent matters. You have a competent leadership here matters. That's what baseball doesn't have. You make this big thing like, oh, what happens if there's an outbreak? Um, and that's, you know, in baseball and I think in football as well, even though football hasn't played, what they're lacking and why they're not on that tier, it's not just because of the bubble. It's because, you know, they haven't necessarily identified like a threshold. Like how, what will it take to shut it down? Right, and if and if you don't give us the threshold, we will assume the worst. Like, does a, does a pitcher have to die for you to shut the season down? Right, and that's the, that's that's the worst. Right, could it just be a certain number? Could it be if an entire team can't play? Could it be if an entire division can't play? Whatever. There's nothing. Right, it's the wild wild west. And when you don't have that, you don't have a plan. You don't have any contingencies. Like that's reflective of what how we got here as all these sports leagues. We just kept thinking it would go away, and stuff don't go away. You know, you have to 
plan. You have to like pretend that it will be here. And if it's not, okay, scrap your plan. But we just assume that by July, oh, it'd be gone. That's why the NFL is kind of screwed. College football is kind of screwed. And baseball, I think they'll be able to get through the season, but I'm just not confident because they don't, they don't have a plan for an outbreak, which there's definitely going to be as these more teams, you know, play each other every, every day. Well, and what's wild about what you're saying is, is so we've talked a couple of times now about how MLS basically has a bubble that's working in Orlando. They're doing basically a limited tournament called MLS is back. Their plan is within the next two weeks to return to basically non-bubble games where where teams are playing in local markets without fans, which means you're going to have players exposed to their families, their communities, flying to and fro. And like that's been happening in minor league soccer with USL, and they're canceling matches left and right. I, I, a couple of things, Mike, from what you said. You talked about how like the plan didn't have anything about an outbreak. It's the same damn thing with school reopenings, right? Mm-hmm. Like what happens at it? So current guidance is if you come in contact with somebody who tests positive, that you should self-quarantine for 14 days. Okay. What happens when a third grader or a ninth grader tests positive? Does the teacher go into quarantine? Does the entire class go into quarantine? And if so, what sub is going into that building, right? Like what's happening with those students or in a high school where you have kids with six classes. So if one kid has six classes, does that mean that 30 times five are going in? Like, like what stresses me out about this is, is that the same dysfunction that we're seeing in society, we're seeing mirrored in sports, but we're actually doing more effort to fix the shit in sports than we are in real life. Like the WIAA had a plan for sports in Washington state to like change the timing of high school before anybody I know who's teaching had their plan for how the school year was going to go. And I'm just sitting here like, what the hell is this nonsense? I, 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 I just, I, I don't get it and it drives me crazy. Nate, you had a point um, real quick. So yeah. the absurdity of how sports is over overlapping basically just human decency and awareness of how leagues can continue to learn and fight this. So the Marlins and Phillies are going to play a seven-game series. A seven-game series, three of them with three, like there will be three doubleheaders in the seven-game series. In order to get this, in, in order to make up games on the schedule, forget safety protocols, forget all of this that Major League Baseball should be doing, but it's like, yeah, just play seven games and make up games on the schedule. And I'm like, really, guys? Like, that's that's what we're doing? We're going to play seven games? So the absurdity of not learning from these things and then just pressing forward with the season like nothing happened, um, yeah. it's painful. <laughs> We collectively want all the rewards. We want movie theaters to reopen. We want schools to reopen. We want to have sports on TV, but we don't want to do any of the work. It's like it's like how Americans spend more money on diet pills uh, than anybody else in the world, and also more money on junk food. Like, <laughs> it don't make no sense. It don't make no sense. Oh, that's a fun stat. I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna take a break here, and when we come back. We're gonna dive into football talk about what's happening with college football, which is a mess, and talk about what's happening with the NFL with players opting out. We'll be back. This is Doug Mackey, producer of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. 
This episode of Channel 253 is sponsored by Pacific Lutheran University. Your student can go to college just about anywhere in the world, but have you thought about the school just down the street? When it comes to their undergraduate programs, PLU is a triple threat. First, PLU has a great liberal arts program that will expand young minds and help them thrive no matter where they go after leaving our campus. Second, PLU is part of the Tacoma and South Sound community, passing on the values of civic engagement to the next generation. And finally, PLU has programs that will prepare students for some of the most important and high-demand careers post-graduation. Liberal arts, civic engagement, and professional studies, a triple threat that will help your student thrive. To learn more, visit plu.edu slash admission. Now back to the show. And we are back. I want to thank you for downloading the show today. Uh, this show is a production of Channel 253. Channel 253 is a network of local podcasts who are telling you stories and giving you perspectives you won't get anywhere else. This work is member and listener supported and your membership dollars really help us make this happen. We talked earlier on about The Athletic, which is the publication that Mike works for. It is listener supported and it provides amazing sports coverage, in-depth coverage. They have people in almost every market covering every team and it's worth your money. I'm going to argue that Channel 253 and the podcast on the network are worth your money as well. The ladies at IWL have some really great episodes about racial equity in the classroom going into the fall. Uh, the Citizen Tacoma show is up and running again. And the interview they had last week with Julie Anderson is one of my favorite episodes of the run. Uh, the ladies from What Say You uh, just put out an episode that I really, really enjoyed. And of course, Crossing Division is Tacoma's talk show. And the conversations there are always on point. Auntie Ev is doing her research like crazy. And in addition, we have We Art Tacoma talking about the art scene. You're not getting arts coverage anywhere else in Tacoma. It's not in the paper. It's not going to be on local TV. And so if you care about these things, you care about civic issues, you care about equity in classrooms, you care about arts coverage, I'm going to ask you to go to your computer, grab your phone and navigate to channel253.com slash membership and join. It is $4 a month or $40 a year. All right, fellas. Uh, I want to spend the rest of the show just working through all this mess in football because, like, football seems wild to me. And, Mike, you made the point earlier on about, like, college players. So let me say this. Uh, I have a complicated relationship with professional football. I quit the uh, NFL a few years ago for like Kaepernick solidarity reasons. And then I rationalized that like, okay, it's fine to like not watch that, but I'm still hell into college football. But like college football is kids not getting paid to bang their heads and get concussions. And so I'm a season ticket holder for the Huskies and I love me some college football, but I know it's problematic. Like it's, Mm. I'm like a smoker, right? I'm like, I know yeah. it's bad for me, but damn, I just, I just want a Newport. Uh, <laughs> and what we're seeing happening right now is, is like the players are realizing that they are like, they have some power. And so Mike, like, like what is going on with college football? Like, like it, I feel like what's happening is a long time coming. Am I wrong? Oh yeah. No, it's, it's I mean, it's, versions of it have happened before, but the pandemic adds like, um, it takes away the credibility and the uh, it severs the trust between the players and the people in charge. Like if you read some of these letters from like the Pac-12, uh, we are united uh, movement or the uh, big 10, we are united movement. Even like the kids at uh, UCLA had put one out like earlier, like in the, in the pandemic and like their, the UCLA one, the football players at the heart of their thing was 
we don't trust Chip Kelly to keep us safe, like to prioritize our health, right? That is our at the root of our thing. Like, and that's the same thing with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten is we don't trust you. We want to play, but we don't trust yeah. you to prioritize our health, right? Because they are learning. Our health has never been prioritized. The money has been prioritized. And we don't get any of that either. So we want money. We want our health prioritized. And because of George Floyd and how that just changed the country, uh, we want like racial justice prioritized too. Three things that have never really been prioritized on the part of the players. It's always been just like, oh, you go to Ohio State, so you're just happy to be here. It's like, no, I'm not going to die for you. I'm not going to die for you and be broke and endure racism. Hell no. Like, that's the point <laughs> that the players have gotten to. Like, the Pac-12 one is a letter was a little different than the Big Ten one because the Pac-12 players also demanded, like, a portion of the revenue. And the Big Ten basically just asked for their parents to be able to watch their games, which is fine. Act for whatever you want. I think the Pac-12 one is the more powerful one because it's three-pronged. It's, like, health, you know, racial justice, and this bread. And those are things that, like, players have always deserved, but the – the leagues, I guess I should say the schools have never really positioned to bargain with them because they had never threatened to miss any games. And mm. that's where the Pac-12 players have uh, kind of exercised their powers. Like, give, if you don't give us what we want, we will miss games. You know, missing games attacks the bread. And once you attack the bread, you get to the negotiation table. And I think that's like the biggest story in sports right now, because that could change the entire face of uh, college football. If you got these players demanding this bread and being willing to, you know, miss out on these millions of dollars for the, you know, the broadcast companies to get the bread. What's wild to me is I can imagine being a college athlete and saying, excuse me, it's not safe enough to open school and have students on campus, but it's safe enough for me to come here and train with 150 other people who I'm going to breathe with and bang into at full speed. So then we can get on planes and fly to bang into other people at full speed, but we can't have students on campus. What the actual shit, right? Like, like, like if I'm a college player, like that's where my head is. Andrew, please. Um, yeah, that, that part right there, that's the part that pisses me off. Cause it's kind of like, okay, you know, I'm pretty sure, and, and somebody please correct me if I'm wrong here, the state of California, uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, he already said there won't be any large, massive concerts or sporting events. He said that back in May. And so my first thought was, okay, so you've got Stanford, you've got Cal, you've got USC, you've got UCLA. There's no way the Pac-12 plays football this year. If you can't have massive events with more than 50 people, but now we're going to just act like he didn't say that and say, oh, yeah, hey, we're going to have a modified Pac-12 schedule. And my first thought is, so you're going to, you know, like Mike said, you're going to put these kids, you know, you're going to you're going to put these kids out there and you aren't going to pay them, you know, their parents. Hell, I can't get Pac-12 network and I live in the state of Washington. And so I can't even imagine what other kids are feeling. So, yeah, it is everything that is wrong about college football is being revealed right now. And these kids, they know that these universities, they're the most important employees at this point, because if there is no college football season, some of these schools are going to suffer big time and, yeah, I'm, I'm all for these kids just realizing their power and realizing that 
you know, we help build these million dollar palaces, give us a cut. Well, in some of the minor conferences, said it's a wrap, right? So, like, the Patriot League, I think, was like, we're out. The Ivy League is like, we're out. But these power conferences are trying to get their bread, like the SEC, the Big Ten, uh, the, the, the Pac-12. Uh, Mike, I just want to lean back for a little bit. Who is really showing their behind and acting a fool right now? Uh, well, it's, it's everyone who is in charge of college football um, because, like, you can't ignore the race element in college football as well. Like, I was just nope. reading a study the other day. Um, like there is a correlation between like your thoughts on race and how you feel about players getting paid. Like generally speaking, if you're like, uh, I mean, if you're racist, you probably don't want uh, college athletes getting paid, right? That's like the the thesis that you could I kind of drew from there, or the conclusion, not the thesis. Sure. Uh, so, like, you, there you got that element because the race element is important too. And I'm glad the Pac-12 players brought that up because it's not just like, oh, they want you broke. It's like, what do the people who want you broke look like, and what are the people who they want broke look like? And what backgrounds do they come from versus where backgrounds do the people in charge come from? So you got that element uh, there as well. And that factors into the health as well, because like I said, who's being disproportionately impacted negatively by the coronavirus, right? It's black families, right? Whether that's unemployment or just, or just health. And so when you mix all that together, you get this boom, college football is just like the worst thing ever. And I think uh, what you guys are saying about how like, oh, you can't have school, but you can have, football right that's kind of what they're trying to sell us right uh it's a that's about money right because you don't make money when the kids come into math 101 right but you make money when usc plays stanford um but it, it like exposes how important the kids are right i used to cover the university of idaho right? so a lot of my friends go to idaho or they went there they're vandal alums and uh the big sky just canceled a uh, football for the fall and i texted him i was like can idaho even like survive and one of my friends is like what do you mean like survive like forever i'm like yes can they afford to even be a school if they don't have a uh, football? Right? And that was legit. The answer is yes, but the, the, it was a legitimate question because that's how important football is on a college campus. You are funding everything else. Like, look at Stanford. They canceled how many you know, sports because football couldn't pay the bills. Right? And I think the kids are, re- are realizing that too. Like, oh, we're paying for cross country and gymnastics and swimming and wrestling and rugby. We're paying for everything. And you guys don't give us a dime. So not only are you guys getting rich, everyone else gets opportunity and we get nothing. That's, uh, that all of that is being exposed right now. And the people who look the worst are the people who like are okay with the status quo. That's the coaches, that's the ADs, the presidents, that's the, co- uh, the conference commissioners, everyone. That's the president, CAA. Everyone's cool with the status quo because the status quo largely exploits young people. And, it, and you're talking about the revenue generating sports, it exploits young black people. And this country has been okay with that. So, of course, college football, which is a microcosm of society, is going to be okay with that as well. I love how you keep hammering the idea that what's happening right now is happening disproportionately to black people. Because I feel like something that coronavirus is doing is taking away the veneer and exposing that every outcome in America is racialized. Like, black Americans do worse across the board. Well, so I guess to, to, to look at American society right now, you have to believe one of two things. Either A, black people are inferior, and that's why we have lower incomes, live in worse neighborhoods, live shorter lives, and have lower performance academically, get foreclosed on more often, etc. Or that America is hella, hella racist. And I'll tell you what, I ain't inferior to nobody. And so the answer must be America is racist. And 
I feel like that's being exposed and a reminder that folks need. But like your point is is dead on. Like, listen, man, I've been a Husky uh, a Husky season ticket holder for uh, ten seasons. I'm in row fifteen. Like, I got some pretty nice seats. When I look around, it don't look like the players on the field. Right. And so you got you got my man who's sail my, my man who came in from Medina or Issaquah, sailgating. Uh, he's gonna play golf afterwards and sail home. Like. You, when you sit in Husky Stadium, you can tell where the players' families are, right? Like, they they are a different population. And so, yeah, young black males are playing this sport to generate revenue to run all and sport other sports on campus. And to your point, everybody's saying, go ahead and play and go ahead and play. And they're like, we want a slice of the pie. Uh, Andrew, I only followed it tangentially. What in the hell happened at Wazoo? Um, and Mike can kind of um, help tag team with this, but basically a player um, decided, okay, and many players have been doing this where it's, I don't want to play because, you know, either I don't want to risk my health or risk the health of others. So I'm going to opt out this year. And that seemed to be okay. But Nick Rolovich, if, if, if that's, if I'm saying it right, he said, okay, that's fine. That's fine. He was like, oh, are you a part of this Pac-12 United thing? And he was, and the player was like, yeah, yeah, I am. And he was like, well, that's going to be a problem. So I don't know if he threatened to pull a scholarship or he actually pulled a scholarship. I think Mike can um, confirm or, or, you know, give me a straight answer on that. But basically he did what every other coach has done to every, I, I, I want to venture to say every player of color since the beginning of time, where it is, if you don't do right by me, I will threaten to pull your scholarship or I will send you back to wherever you came from, because that seems to be the thing where college coaches like to threaten to send players back to their quote unquote terrible neighborhoods. And they might not even be terrible. Um, but yeah, that's basically what happened. Yeah, the Washington State thing, Nate hurts me to say you're a Husky season ticket holder. I'm actually a Coug grad, uh, class of 2014. So I was really paying attention to what's going on over there. I made some calls and like talking to some people I know over there in Pullman. And the interesting thing is, is there's a disconnect between what's going on. Cassidy Woods is like the player in question here, who's the one who recorded the phone call uh, with Nick Rolovich. And it's, it's complicated because Cassidy is part of the Pac-12 player movement, right? And according to what I've been told, he spoke with Nick Rolovich on like Thursday before that recorded call on Saturday. So there was like an already an understanding uh, between them about what was going on. Uh, Rolo had already met with guys on Zoom and kind of been briefed on the movement, uh, which which then makes sense because right, who thinks to just record their coach, right? There obviously had to be some prior <laughs> prior like uh, discussion to make you think I need to get this on the record, right. right? And he did it to put it out. Like everyone has a hold of the of the audio. Um, put it on so, SoundCloud. Yeah, it's 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 everywhere. Um, so the, there's a disconnect. The players, I think, Cassidy Woods, Dallas Hobbs, and Patrick Nunn um, are the ones who are like we're part of the movement and we are opting out of playing this year because we are in this movement, which is, again, is three-pronged, health, money, and racial justice, right? So when they're opting out in the name of COVID, they're not doing it as a one-off. It is part of these other demands they also have. They're opting out part of the movement, 
their, their opt-out is tied to the movement. Right? So what Negrolovich told Cassidy is if you're opting out because of COVID, I think Cassidy has a sickle cell trait. Um, so he was like, that's fine. Cool. Um, Cassidy says, I still want to work out, be around the team. He's like, well, no, no, that you can't do that. Right. You, you have to go. You have, if you're not, if you can't, if you're not going to be around the team and play, we can't have you around, you know, fewer people around actually makes it more likely we have a season, which actually that does make sense. But then unprompted, Rolovich brings up the movement. He says, well, but if you're involved in this movement, well, that's a problem. Right. Because he Rolovich sees those as separate things. He says that if you're opting out because of the movement problem, opting out because of COVID, not a problem. Right. They already have a policy for that. So you get this mm-hmm. disconnect where Cassidy hears that he has to not be around the program. He has to pack his stuff, get removed from the uh, group chats, which he has. Um, his locker is empty. Like he hears all of that tied to the movement because he doesn't see the COVID and the movement as separate entities. Where Rolovich is coming from a place of, no, I told you to pack your stuff because you're afraid of getting sick. That's it. And he's like, well, coach, I'm afraid of getting sick tied to the movement. You know, so they one party sees it as separate entities and one does not, which is why you got this disconnect, which is why one guy thinks that there were initial reports as Cassie was like, well, hey, I got kicked off the team for the movement. Um, and Rolovich is kind of been playing semantics uh, in terms of, no, I didn't. I never said that. I'm proud of the movement. Now, I would I would call bullshit on that part just because I heard the audio. That man didn't sound proud of a damn thing. Um <laughs> when he uh he said he was proud on like monday we heard the audio on sunday the convo was from saturday so in those 48 hours you got real proud okay okay what made you proud <laughs> right let's i would love to hear the answer to that to that question so what's happening in washington state is really interesting in that regard because um we have to remember these things are all connected so when i talk about them they're all together it's not just that they want money or just that they want uh, racial justice which this is important as well when rolovich kind of Spouted his understanding of the movement to Cassidy. He only mentioned, he's like, if you if you guys want money or racial justice and da 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 da, and then went on, like, so you can kind of see what his understanding of the movement is. He thinks kids want money and power, and he's like, nah. And now, if they want health, that's a different discussion. It's like, no, it's all, it's all woven together as one grievance essentially. So that's why you got Rick Rolovich looking worse than some of the other coaches in the Pac-12 who've had discussion with their players. Jimmy Lake, he and I are talking crazy about it. Coach UW, you know, David Shaw and I are talking crazy about it. I can't remember the coach at Cal's name, uh, but he's not talking crazy about it, right? They heard, oh, we got beef? Okay, kids, cool. I mean, I'm with you. Or at the very least, I'm not against you, which is how Rolo came across as. Like, it's one thing to not necessarily be gung-ho with your players boycotting, I understand that, but you could also be an ally, which Rolo didn't, like, purport himself to be initially, and now he walked it back. So he looks the worst at all the Pac-12 coaches without even coaching the damn game. It's interesting because I think a lot of folks, when Mike Leach, Mike Leach left Washington State, were like, we got rid of our problematic coach, and now it seems like they have another problematic coach just in a different right. kind of way. Uh. So I, I just want to get down to it. Like, is all this for naught? Like, do you all think there's going to be a college football season at all? Like, is, are we just doing this to not have a season? Like, what do you all think? No, it's it, 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 and if there is a college football season, it's going to be delayed. Uh, I, I know that like there's been so many, all these conferences that are putting together these ten to twelve game schedules. It is there are so many bye weeks and loopholes and all of this stuff included. It's like just in case 
an outbreak happens, but the issue is all of these college kids are going to be college kids. Now, whether you disagree or not, all of these kids in these college towns, they have nothing to do. They're going to be stuck in their apartments or dorms or what have you all day. And I'm not even talking about the actual student athletes. I'm talking about just regular college kids. These kids are going to throw parties. People are going to show up. Louisville a few days ago, uh, there was a party and four sports had to stop training because of that. And so you expect college kids to, to, to not, and they're talking about bubbles. You can't put college kids in a bubbles and not pay them. Uh, that's just, that's, that's an uncomfortable thing that I would not be a fan of, but um, I, I just, I don't see a college football season happening in a timely manner. It's, I'm actually afraid of how this season is going to go, if I can be completely honest. If we're talking about sports in America, we have to talk about the biggest sport in America, which is like the NFL. And so, Mike, you're the beat writer for the Hawks. Uh, what's going on with, uh, with, with pro football? Well, pro football is just basically trying to wing it and cross their fingers and hope for the best because the problem, I mean, even if you elevate the age of the kids, like the demographic is largely responsible in college football, of course. Like it doesn't get much more responsible in um, the pros <laughs> in part because you're, you're adding money to the equation too. Like, you know, I saw Richard Sherman uh, kind of uh, take a shot at the nightlife in Santa Clara. He was like, you know, guys will be fine. Ain't nothing to do in Santa Clara. Right. Bobby kind of made a similar comment about like, it's, they're kind of tongue in cheek, but it's rooted in some truth. Like, you know, it's nothing to do in Seattle nightlife. So we think guys will be, you know, the discipline themselves will be fine. And I was making this point to um, another player the other day. Look, man, if you're a young black millionaire, you don't have to go to the nightlife. It can come to you. You're one Instagram a DM away from your, your house being a hookah lounge, right? Like that's it. If you don't have to work that hard to get some girls and some alcohol and some hookah or whatever else you guys want to engage in at your crib or at the homie's crib or whatever, right? It's not that hard to be irresponsible if you really want to. All you need is like money and influence and you can be as irresponsible as you really want as an NFL player. And they have both. Mm. I don't care if you're in any, every NFL city has that, right? At the very least, it has an airport. You can import whatever irresponsible activities you really want uh, to come in. <laughs> Maybe the exception of like Green Bay. There's like a big enough population in every, every NFL city. Uh, so the NFL is basically hoping that players will create their own little bubbles. They'll only go like in Seattle, they're hoping those guys go from the VMAC to the crib, VMAC to the crib, or maybe to the grocery store and back VMAC to the crib, VMAC to the crib. And it's just like, that's just not, even if that was realistic in Seattle, you're asking 32 other teams to, to have that same faith. Um, and I just, I just can't, I just can't count on it, man. I mean, look at, I mean, who, who threw a party? Isn't Dak, Dak Prescott threw a party like in the, at the height of COVID. Yeah. Uh, for for his birthday, um, I mean, you're seeing players can, uh, get COVID in like bunches in some places. Like a bunch of Texans had it, and I don't know how they got it, but I would imagine that they're probably together. Um, like the faith that we're being asked to have in these players um, is it's scary because the the ones with families will probably be fine. Like you got wife and kids, you have to probably talk some sense into you, right? Like, but everyone doesn't have a wife and kids at home. Some of them is just themselves, and they got a bunch of money. Right. And they're in a new city. So they're bored or some people got their mom with them or a girl or their brother or just the homie, the hanger on from the hood who just had to come with you to, 
you know, you're, you're NFL city. So we're at NFL, the NFL situation is basically banking on that. You guys are going to be responsible on your own. And the coaches too, right? Like one stupid equipment manager, like the backup running back coach, if he goes to the bar too, he could affect everyone as well. So right. it's not just the head coaches uh, or the, the other front office people as well. It can work. But I think what's going to happen is it's going to get going and we'll probably have an outbreak of some sort and need to do an NBA thing, cut it, and then bring it back later. Maybe with some type of bubble scenario. Someone brought up something to me about the bubble. was like wherever you put the Patriots in the bubble, you have to worry about Bill Belichick spying on your practices. Because uh, it has access to your skill. <laughs> that was actually really, really Shots. funny. Because, I mean, he, he wasn't wrong, right? Like, if, if let's say they, they all bubble, they take over the whole state of, like, Nebraska and, like, bubble there and have a bunch of space. Like, you know Bill Belichick's going to send someone to watch, like, you know, the, the, the Bills practices, right? Which is crazy because who wants to spy on Josh Allen? But, like, that's, that's kind of where, where we're at in the, in the NFL. Like, it's, it's a bunch of this and praying that, like, a bunch of guys in their mid-20s who are millionaires don't mess up the bag and, like, Godspeed. Mike, well, and the thing is, is that oh no, I was gonna say Mike had a great point. I was just thinking about this: an NFL bubble. Those are maybe some of the most paranoid people in all of sports, anyway. So mm-hmm. I'm just already getting like you know you have different bubbles around the country. All of these coaches, like they're they're going to be closed practices, drone security, and I'm not joking around when I say this. Like this is probably going to end up happening. If we did have bubbles, so I just want to thank Mike for giving me that image of closed practices and Bill Belichick basically having to walk around a an athletic complex with a blue tarp all around just so he's not uh, not not looking at signs and watching Sam Darnold uh, uh, miss miss an out route pass. So. Thank you for that. Well, but here's the thing about football that, like, is unstated in this conversation but matters is that an NBA team is 12 players and, like, four coaches. A soccer team is 23 players and, like, four or five coaches. NFL rosters are massive. We're talking about 60 dudes, talking about 20 coaches, talking about equipment managers, talking about mortars in the practice squads. And so, like, whatever a giant – Whenever the bubble, like you're talking about small towns needing to pop up for the for the NFL. The other thing that's been interesting to me is, so I believe, Mike, this is the week in which NFL players have to opt out if they're opting out. Correct. But also drug testing is kicking in. And it's crazy to me. I didn't realize this, but like NFL players still get tested for marijuana, even though marijuana is legal in most of the cities and most of the states that have NFL teams. Like this is some like. 1980. I, I I can't even with this right now. Yeah, it's it's really crazy because I thought they would have got that out of here in the last collective bargaining agreement that they negotiated right. in March. But so what they did, it was this is really bad. And I told a I told uh, one of the Seahawks who was in the negotiation. I was like, how did you guys still let them test for weed? It's like because uh, he was he was actually pretty upset about it because what happened is instead of suspending you for weed, they'll just fine you. And I was like, well, that's even worse because now I'm playing for free. All right, so like. <laughs> You know, I'd rather just not play if, and then play otherwise play for free. Let's say I'm a guy who makes like five hundred thousand a game or something like that. I mean, like seven fifty thousand. Now I go out there and I could get hurt and I don't get a damn thing. Like that's 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 even worse, I think. Person in this this player agreed, so I thought that was really like stupid that they allowed allowed that. Like even beyond beyond it being legal everywhere, like in the city itself, like there's a ton of dispensaries around like 
you know, Seattle and none of the Seahawks can smoke. Beyond that, that part of it was just absurd to allow them to still to still test for it. But like, if you like roll your ankle, they'll shoot you up with a bunch of pain drugs that'll get you addicted. You know, in a, in a heartbeat, right? Like Michael Bennett tells the story of him having to get this like six inch needle like injected into his toe uh, every every game just to go out there and play. And I was like, man, a blunt would probably be a lot better. Like, like come on, like that's I, I don't smoke, but like. I can imagine like the pain that you feel on Monday morning after a game would probably be easier like subsided than with a, with a bunch of joints than versus like, you know, 15 Tylenol or whatever they're going to give you. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by the organization Blunts, not painkillers. Uh, <laughs> <if> you... <laughs> uh, we've been ending the show lately with a thing called here. Hold this L. Hold this L. Hold this L. And so I just want to kind of put out there really fast, like cancel culture is not real. Like folks aren't getting canceled. They're getting held accountable. Uh, But I want to imagine a world in which cancel culture is real. Uh, Who would each one of you want to hand an L to? Uh, Andrew, I want to start with you. Who should hold hold the L? Um, I'm going to go to my, because I really don't know who needs to hold one. But I'm just gonna go to my standard. Mark Emmert, hold an L, please. Fact, please. Yeah, I'm. He he is the most inept person to run college sports. Um, I I don't understand what it is with people who hate their own sport yet actually run it. Hi, Rob Manfred uh, at Major League Baseball. <laughs> um, no, but no. Mark Emmert needs to understand that during all of this time. Players are starting to realize their power. The college sports structure, which is already broken, is basically shattering in front of him, yet he's trying to hold it together and say they still have control. They no longer have control. He's got to hold an L. Cool. Uh, Mike, who needs, who needs to hold an L? Man, this is tough because there's a lot of candidates uh, in my head. Jonathan Isaac, Terry Crews are all in my head at the moment. Ooh. Um, Terry Crews. Yeah, Terry Crews is bad. But I, I actually want to – I'm going to ride from my, my Jewish brothers and sisters here, and I would say I would lump in Deshaun Jackson, Ice Cube, um, Nick Cannon. Because, um, you know, black people, we can't just ignore, like, anti-Semitism either, right? Like, that's that's a problem. What Deshaun Jackson was saying, um, you know, quoting Farrakhan and Hitler is just bad. Like, don't. You know, like, it just don't. Right? And you see Ice Cube's timeline is full of anti-Semitic uh, stuff. I mean, he's been like that since the 90s, but still, it's like it's still not okay. You know, Nick Cannon, um, very similar, uh, Deshaun Jackson, all of those guys in the holding hell, man. Like, what, what, what our Jewish brothers and sisters is beefing about, too, like, our, our fights are similar, man. Like, we should be more allies than enemies. Like, we should ride for Facts. them because they, 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 they ride for us. And we got black Jews, too. I mean, it's not just like, you know, you know white Jews either. It's like, the anti-Semitic stuff, it just needs to be called out as much as the racist stuff, too. And it's, and it's inexcusable. Like, Deshaun Jackson, I know he maybe didn't – he doesn't understand, like, some of the aspects of, like, his comments are anti-Semitic. But it's like he started his post on Instagram with Hitler said, full stop, brother. <laughs> Don't matter what he said after that, you know? Like, even, if, even, even in a world where Hitler said something profound, like you said, Hitler said water is wet. Cool. You can find a better source if that water is wet. Or whatever, whatever thing that he said made sense, you could find a better source. And quoting Farrakhan, which is what Nick Cannon and like Ice Cube were doing as well, is the same thing. Like even if Farrakhan made some points about something, you can find a better source 
and especially if it's about race in America, man. If you if you think Farrakhan said something great, just go Google it and see if Michael Eric Dyson said it better. Tweet that, and you you probably will be fine. Or Tanisi Coates said it, or who, I don't know, Bamani Jones. Don't matter. Just find someone else who's a, more credible on it, and I'm probably making the same point. So like we, as much as we talked about like black people and their plight on this show, I can't ignore the anti-Semitism coming from black people at a time we're asking other people who don't look like us to care about our struggle, and yet we're just like shitting on Jewish people for no reason either. Like, what, what the hell point was Sean Jackson trying to make? What, what point is Nick Cannon trying to make? What point is Ice Cube trying to make on this timeline? None, right? And it's, it's pointless, and that that is worth holding an L for sure. I I couldn't say any of that better myself. I really appreciate you coming on the show. That was, that was like, just yes. Yes to all that. Uh, gents, if folks want to follow you on the socials, where should they look? Andrew, you first, please. Uh, Aham TNT. Um, be a fair warning. I tweet a lot, um, and I don't apologize for it. Um, so yeah, Aham TNT on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, your Instagram selfies are prolific. It's like fourteen. I'm stacked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike, how about you? Uh, I'm at Mike Dugar. M I K E D U G A R. That's on Twitter. Wait, on Instagram, I'm just it's just the reverse. Dugar Mike. Uh, I also host a podcast on my own, the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, uh, with my homie Chris Kidd on iTunes, Spotify, uh, on the Athletic uh, as well. So definitely check that out. Like, if you like the intersection of race and sports, that's kind of where I've been going lately. It's 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 once you dig into it and learn about it, it's like fascinating stuff, man. So I encourage everyone not to just like listen to what we're talking about now. Read, read on your own, man. Just like, Google it, whatever. Read Forty Million Dollar Slaves. That's a good a good place to start uh, too by William Roden. I love that book. Like, yeah, educate yourselves because right, right now, the common denominator from the people who are getting canceled and talking crazy, because they, they don't sound educated. They haven't educated themselves on what they're talking about. So educate yourself so you don't get canceled. I could, again, I couldn't say it better myself. Thank you both for coming on the show today. Uh, listeners, subscribe to The Athletic and Good Good Sports Coverage. Uh, subscribe to The News Tribune. Uh, Trib, give Andrew a beat. Treat my man well, please, for God's sakes. Uh, everybody listening to this, wash your damn hands, wear a mask. Wakanda forever, y'all. Channel 253 is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Nate Bowling, and I fly Alaska. To book your next trip, go to alaskaair.com. Uh, we talked earlier on about the Atlantic. Dang it, not the Atlantic. Nerd Farmer is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows, Interchangeable White Ladies, Give Me the Mic, We Are Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.